Hello, and welcome to the Cannabis Corner. My name is Joshua Braff, and I'm here with my partner, Farmer Adam Teitelbaum. Today, we're going to talk to Ellen Comp, who's the Deputy Director of California Normal. This is capital N-O-R-M-L. We are seeing so much about Normal and hearing from different people that we've interviewed. There's D.C. Normal, there's California Normal, and we're going to hear about other states that are involved with it. I went to the website, and uh, there's a newsletter, and I'm going to read some of the bullet points before I introduce Ellen. Uh, support state legislation to allow automatic expungement of past marijuana crimes, a bill to protect medical marijuana patients from employment discrimination introduced in California, a bill to expand cannabis special event venues introduced in Sacramento, San Francisco to automatically erase minor marijuana convictions, CA Normal recommends priority licensing for cannabis cultivation. So great topics, all supported by articles in this newsletter. Ellen Comp, tell us a little bit about you and how you came to be involved with Normal. And even from the time when you first discovered that cannabis was going to be a part of your life, tell us how you came to that. Well, I've been involved for 25 years, so I'll try to keep it short. I became active in the hemp movement in the early 1990s. This kind of reinvigorated the marijuana reform movement, which had been going strong in the 70s, and they had managed to get decriminalization in a bunch of states. This is when Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, was first founded. And this is a time, you know, you could go to jail for a joint, and they started rolling that back. Then there was a backlash, which actually is detailed in a new book I just reviewed for Cannabis Now called Grassroots by Emily Dustin. There was a real backlash by a parents movement that ended up culminating in Nancy Reagan embracing that with her Just Say No campaign and a lot of real punitive drug laws in the 80s. And it really took the steam out of the whole marijuana legalization movement. But that started to change in the early 90s when Jack Herrer came around with a book called The Emperor Wears No Clothes that talked about how cannabis was actually an agricultural product and used as hemp and, you know, was used for the sales on the ship and was a food and was had all these other attributes to it. And, you know, I was skeptical when I first heard about it. I said, well, you know, come on, you don't need cannabis hemp, the very same hemp, you know, I smoked in college and had a great time with. And it really was. And, and I that just blew my mind. And I knew I'd been lied to and, and, it, and it blew the lid off the whole marijuana program prohibition to me, and I realized how unjust it was and started thinking about the people who were being arrested for it, you know, which I hadn't really considered before. And so I started working with Jack Hare. I was an emperor. I was an editor on his book mm-hmm. and tabling and just going to events and holding rallies and things like that and educating people about hemp. We, we had to do it all grassroots because we couldn't get the word hemp into the newspaper. They would always change it to marijuana. Is this early 90s? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to hear that there was some momentum in the notion of decriminalization as Nancy Reagan came into the White House and and had probably quite a bit of success in squashing any kind of progress cannabis as medicine might have had. Well, this is even before medicine became the issue. I see. But they also were able, able, and this will come around to this, in the Reagan administration to pass laws requiring drug testing for federal employees. Mm -hmm. 
and pushing the kind of workplace discrimination that we're still trying to roll back here in California. But yeah, what happened then in the early 90s is Dennis Perone, mainly in San Francisco with the aid of Brownie Mary and others, started a cannabis buyers club for AIDS patients who were literally dying from starvation. And we're finding that cannabis was one of the medicines that really helped them and yet it was unavailable. So him and a gentleman named Robert Randall, who actually sued the federal government to get marijuana for his glaucoma successfully, we started seeing people coming forward and realizing that marijuana was helping with their various medical conditions. And the government had known since the 70s that cannabis was good for um, nausea, for chemotherapy, and things like that, but it had been kind of squashed. So, What, what, what was the but, incentive of the government to squash a, a, a medicine that would help with nausea and vomiting? Well, it's illegal. I mean, they've painted themselves into this corner on it, and it isn't a pharmaceutical. I mean, there are a lot of reasons. So th- these, are, these are some walls that continue to come up where the, there's government incentive to either squash this medicine, which is uh, finding its way through all barriers. And here we are, and it feels like the end of prohibition in, in a sense. And still, it's a, there's a civil rights issue that's very loud here that keeps coming up in our interviews. And I think that's why it's so important to break down all the efforts that are being done like with normal and calling out these extremely important issues that are human issues. Yeah, well, you know, I thought I'd take a couple years off and work for medical marijuana when patients started coming up to my hemp tables like in wheelchairs asking for medicine, you know. And I foolishly thought that my job on that score was over when we passed Proposition 215 in 1996. But I quickly found out that, you know, you can pass law, but the devil is in the details of enforcing it. And, you know, we've legalized it, but we still have a long way to go to acceptance even today. For example, in the workplace, Proposition 64 did not protect employees in the workplace against drug testing and other discrimination. In fact, it protects employers. And in California, we still don't have employment rights even for medical patients. We passed a law to change that in 2008, which was vetoed by Governor Schwarzenegger, himself a former marijuana smoker, admittedly. I've seen him smoke in the documentary. uh... Pumping Iron. Thank you. It's official. It helps with the rep. <laughs> you well, it helps with everything. You know, you know, you're preaching to the choir here, Ellen. Yeah. Well, now we're having. I mean, NFL players coming forward, NBA players coming forward, calling for it. Veterans are calling for it. I mean, it really does have a tremendous number of medical uses. You know, doctors continue to say it's not studied enough because we don't know, know enough about doses and stuff, but we certainly know there are thousands and thousands of studies. You can do a PubMed search and see that now we have discovered a whole endocannabinoid system that it interacts with. We have receptors not just in our brains, but in different parts of our body, which is why it helps with specificity and other things. I'm not saying it's a panacea for everything, but it's certainly, and the, the other really important thing that's come out lately is states with medical marijuana laws have fewer opiate overdose deaths. And we're in such an opiate crisis now, and patients who are able to use cannabis oftentimes can get off opiates altogether, and if not, they can uh, reduce their use of opiates. And this is actually, you know, again, <laughs> 
Well, we have a you know very backward administration right now that's got its head in the sand about that. But, I don't know what you uh, mean. Enlightened people, enlightened people <laughs> are looking at it. And it normal is nonpartisan. We're actually getting support from the Republican Party, uh, certain elements of it right now, too, you know, in Congress and stuff. Yeah, we have Senator Cory Gardner here in Colorado who's anti-cannabis but is for protecting our state constitution and the uh, law that allows people to access both medical and adult-use cannabis here in Colorado. He's a Republican who, like I said, is not for cannabis, but he's here protecting our state and our citizens to make sure, you know, the feds don't do anything. So, yeah, we, we are seeing a lot more support, even from the anti-cannabis side, just, a, just on a view of states' rights. So, right. I would right. say the taxes are hard to ignore for any politician who in the, at the helm. And perhaps that's not his only incentive for saying yes in certain pockets. I mean, we mentioned a whole bunch of bullet points of important issues and not even mentioning the huge population of the elderly in our country. And if you were to listen to them, yes. and, you, and when you do listen to them, and this is only going to get better, you're going to hear groups of people saying, I got off pharma. I had a discussion with my doctor and he agrees this is best for me because guess what? whatever works, right? That's how doctors should be. But, you know, like I just read this article, yes, I think it was yesterday or the day before, about that there was a, a physician saying that only 13% of physicians across the nation have proper knowledge regarding cannabis. So most of them don't understand and don't know, and a lot of them don't even care to know. So that that's part of the problem as well. In the same conversation, they should be very careful about what they are prescribing. Right. But they also should be, you know, learning about the endocannabinoid system, which, of course, they don't in medical school. And then only those who decide to have an interest in it on, you know, on their own tend to learn about it. The endocannabinoid system is not mentioned in medical textbooks. Right. It's pretty new or pretty newly discovered, I should say. Right. And then it's there. There, there are different endocannabinoid systems uh, throughout the body. Isn't, isn't that true? It's not just the whole thing's called the endocannabinoid system, the receptors. But yeah, it is throughout the body and the brain. So we were just discussing the elderly, which is a kind of big deal. Did you have a thought about that, Ellen? I've been to some meetings of seniors and they've brought me in to talk about politics and the seniors aren't, aren't really all that interested in politics. They want to know like where they can get it, how <laughs> yeah. they can use it. Yeah. Um, and any other um, form besides smoking that they can get it in. So they're very big on topicals or maybe edibles. And uh, yes, they're on, I mean, some of these seniors are on a, a tremendous number of drugs because they're not on just the drug. Then they have to be on these all these other drugs to deal with the side effects of the drugs they're on in the first place. Right. And, you know, trying to keep their blood pressure at the right level, et cetera. And they're so doped up and they know it. They don't want to live their life that way. In fact, that's another big issue that veterans have is that to deal with their injuries, the only option that they're being given at the VA is something that keeps them in couch lock. And that's not where they want to live their lives. We're seeing 22 veterans a day commit suicide. And so this is literally a matter of life or death. I thought you were going to have better numbers on veterans. We are getting the sense that they do have access to cannabis as medicine for both injuries and for PTSD, which is uh, obviously so real. Well, some states do allow it, but the problem is that the VA doctors aren't allowed to recommend it. And they can't get it at the right. VA. They're not allowed to recommend it. But right now, the VA has changed their policy on this, whereas before it was like no cannabis use. You know, you got to listen to us and 
do what we say. And now they're allowing that where veterans don't have to hide their cannabis use. And they're saying, hey, you know, if you want to use that, we're not going to provide it. We're not going to provide the recommendation, but go ahead and do that. They have had that policy in place for many years, and they did just revise that policy. Part of the problem is that not all of the VA doctors know that. So I have had to deal with some issues of vets being kicked off their pain medications because they're using medical cannabis, which is happening all the time in the general population, especially patients from Kaiser Healthcare here in California. But again, if the if the veteran can afford to go to a doctor and get a recommendation and buy the medical cannabis themselves, then yes, sometimes they can use it. But a lot of vets are telling me, don't tell the VA that you're using it. You're going to be discriminated against. They're going to try to cut down or take away your opiate. So even though that is the policy, uh, when it trickles down to the local level, we're still seeing some problems. I have a true story. My, my own father is um, 83 years old and, and has liver cancer. And uh, appetite mm. appetite has been a huge, huge issue in the last six months, just so people can get a perspective there are so many side effects of medications and also ailments within the human body as you age that will cause appetite problems. Once you're there, you've got to figure out a way to trick your brain into allowing you to eat something that's good for you and eat the right amount of it, or many, many problems can form. And of course, pain of, of the individual is right next to this issue. A healing person needs to be calm and find some kind of harmony. This is one of the broad strokes of the effects of marijuana, wellness just on its own, on some kind of regimen of CBD, wellness is on your side. So with that said, I was in New Jersey with my father, and we heard that there was a physician at the hospital that did recommend cannabis as medicine. I spoke to this person, and this particular doctor said, between you and me, the product you're going to get from a dispensary is going to be way better than what I have. What that says is the evolution of government and the medical professionals and the truth of this tide that's come our way are not in concert, but that the only way to get there is to continue with the evolution of education. And when one looks at the opportunities to learn from podcasts and even mainstream television is more accepting these days, as you can see from watching the Today Show, which does many cannabis segments. Ellen, Will you tell us a little bit about other entities of normal? There's D.C. normal, there's California normal. Tell us a little bit about it in the country. Are there many, many other links to it? Well, yeah, our national office, which was founded in 1970s, based in D.C., and mostly focuses on um, lobbying at the federal level, but, of course, is in touch with all of its chapters throughout the country to, you know, feed into that. You know, they do a national lobby day and bring people from across the country. Mm -hmm. So I'm with California Normal, which is the California state chapter right. of Normal. And then we also have local chapters like Orange County Normal, Contra Costa is forming a Normal, that work uh, on local levels. You know, I tell people you have three levels of government and you really need to be active at three levels because things are happening everywhere. You know, like, yeah, we're working on this employment rights bill at the state and this sentencing bill. But a lot of where the rubber's hitting the road in California is at the local level. I mean, we have a situation where of California's 58 counties, 25 have banned the cannabis industry and 13 permit it, but a lot of them with stringent conditions. Now, some of those 25 are looking at finding ways to license it, but that's been hampering people from getting their state license. We've now 
The Bureau of Cannabis Control has now issued 2,500 licenses across the state, but one place where they've really failed, and I was curious for Adam's input on this, only 1% of the state's estimated 68,000 growers have been licensed as of February in California. And there are a lot of barriers to them licensing, not just taxes and regulations, but uh, water regulations and all kinds of other things that they're being hit with that the small grower just isn't able to, you know, jump through those barriers. And I wonder how it's going down in Colorado. I mean, my sense of Colorado is it's more large warehouse grows, but I wonder what happens to the small farmer in Colorado. We'll have more with our interview with Ellen Comp in a future episode of The Cannabis Corner. Farmer Adam and I are so grateful for your listening and for your suggestions on the topics we discuss. If you'd like to donate to The Cannabis Corner, just text CBD to 555-888. That's text CBD to 555-888. We're so grateful for your listening, and we hope you have a wonderful day. And we're back on The Cannabis Corner. We have John, a caller from Florida. John, tell us what your story is or what your question is. All right, so I'm an advocate for cannabis. Uh-huh. And ever since I was younger, when my mom had got into an abusive situation, mm-hmm. which caused me to have PTSD and be suicidal when I was younger and turned to actual drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. because everybody needs something to confide in to get away from the negativity. Correct. When I turned 18, I was doing drugs and stuff, and I passed out and cracked the granite table with my head. Ouch. And ever since then, I started having seizures, and that was 11 years ago. Oh, boy. Well, the pharmaceuticals that they kept putting me on, the seizure medications and antidepressants, kept causing my seizures and throwing my equilibrium off and keeping me sick, keeping me basically bedridden. Okay. And I would have like three or four seizures a week. Mm. So I, I, I just started using cannabis and took myself off of these medications. And now I might have one seizure a month just using cannabis mm-hmm. and no other medication. That's a success story, isn't it? Oh, yes. And moving to Florida, I've become an advocate for all of these companies. My friend from Mission Zero, he's a veteran. Mm-hmm. He's made dedication posts to me because of my PTSD, saying that he started his company, Mission Zero, which is to help veterans with PTSD get cannabis instead of using all of these narcotics that they're prescribing. Because once you get on the narcotics, you can't get off because the withdrawals make you sick, and then you want to go right back to it. Exactly, and that is the beginning of the opioid crisis from our perspective, certainly not everyone's perspective, but it seems to begin with a doctor's prescription of something chemical and and, uh, something that uh, is perhaps a cousin of heroin or oxy or whatever. Yes, but it always has that additive. Right. That makes it more addictive, just mm. like the um, the Adderall. Yikes. They're comparing it to methamphetamines, but it's actually two small chemical compounds different, which makes it addictive. And they're giving it to little kids in school, saying it makes them concentrate, but they talk so badly about methamphetamines, but they're giving it to children. That's disgusting. So you yourself said, not me, uh, this stuff isn't for me. And how did you first come to see that cannabis was working for you? Well, 
ever since I was 12 years old, which was when I first used cannabis, mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting it to be like uh, antidepressant, but it actually helped me in confiding in something that wasn't, I consider alcohol even a drug because you black out on it and who knows what you can do. Right. And it's also very addictive because of the depressant in it. Mm-hmm. So cannabis just made me happier. It made me made me not want to be on drugs. It made me want to experience things in life to be positive. Mm-hmm. And once I started getting the seizure medication, after I started having seizures, the seizure medication was making me feel like I was drunk and stuff. And when I wouldn't take it and I would just use cannabis, I would be perfectly fine. I wouldn't be moody. I mean, I'd have seizures, but not as often as when I was taking the medication. So you were really, really benefiting quick, like so many testimonies we hear. People saying, wow, this 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 herb I was taking felt like it was on my side. It was allowing me to be calmer. And another interesting thing you said was the cannabis made you not want to use the other things. That goes against the notion that it's a gateway product. That you, and, and I really know what you mean. When you're on cannabis, there's a sense that you can be productive in ways that you would never be able to be on alcohol, for example, or so many of the other pills that make you groggy in ways. And so the notion that it was working for you, you were feeling crisp and like yourself, and you knew that the other pills were not for you. I think a lot of people think, oh, if you're into cannabis, you'll take anything just to make yourself disappear. That's a misnomer. There's a great deal of concentration that can be found in merely choosing the right strain for you, I would say. I think what you're talking about there is what I've even heard some uh, drug counselors here in, um, Fort, in the Fort Collins area refer to cannabis as, which is an exit drug. That it, No, it's not a gateway at all. It's an exit from pharmaceuticals, from alcohol, etc. Yeah, that's what it sounds like John is saying, right, John? Yes, being an exit drug, it helps you with the withdrawals, and alcohol is a depressant, so it's going to keep you depressed when you're not on it, and marijuana influences everybody to be happy and good-willed and motivated and prompted to do whatever they have to to make everybody happy and to make things work. Yeah, we're in agreement with that. It really does motivate uh, a person in ways that uh, a lot of people would be surprised. Farmer Adam has always said that when he used it in college, it helped him study. The surface blogger critic would never think that using cannabis might make you concentrate more. In high school, the last thing you weren't is your kid saying, yeah, you know, I smoke pot and I'm going to go do my homework. What a terrible and and evil combination, whereas this stuff helped uh, Adam get through college. Isn't that true, Adam? That's absolutely true. I mean, I credit cannabis with helping me stay focused and motivated through college because I just didn't want to be there for the first two years. And without it, I would have dropped out. And here's a guy who went on to get an MBA. So I I like that story because here we are saying with a lot of truth behind us that this might not be a bad decision for you. Of course, everybody's different. A person who's having some learning disabilities or ADD, these acronyms that are thrown around so easily these days, the notion that a child might take a tincture and find themselves more able to approach a textbook, a tedious textbook, 
maybe a great textbook, um, is one of those stories that you'd say, you got to be kidding, no way. So there's a lot of windows to come in from the positive side of understanding cannabis as medicine. And you sound like you have really benefited, John. Are you, you said you're advocating in uh, Florida. Are you able to reach a, a bunch of people and describe this story in a way that's being absorbed by others? Oh, yes, I have. I, have I live in a um, 65 and older community. Oh, I see. And I have neighbors that are around me that weren't really for cannabis. And then once I started telling them the health benefits and showing them videos about the health benefits, and I'm also certified to be a bud tender in Florida. Oh, good. I paid $200 and took a class through hemp staff so I could get into being a bud trader. Are there any bud tenders employed in Florida currently? Um, There are, but not in the counties that I live in. Okay. Last month, the Broward County voted six to two to allow dispensaries to open. And there still hasn't been any advocacy that I've seen wanting to open in Broward County. Mm -hmm. But I've been pushing it on all of the different groups like the CannabisLife.com. I've mm -hmm. been asking them mm -hmm. and a few other people because there's two million people that live in the in Broward County, but there's not one dispensary. Yeah, you sound like a front runner for employment. Um, and my guess is next couple of years, hopefully less, there's a dispensary near you that's going to be a pretty great operation. Perhaps that's a, a good place for you to continue your advocacy and to utilize your license now to be a bud tender. Currently, there's nothing happening, and it sounds like they could get very exciting. Huge population, also a huge elder population in Florida, we uh, often think about the elderly when we approach the topic of people understanding cannabis as medicine. Everybody knows someone who is older and who needs uh, pain remedies and sleep remedies and anxiety remedies. Who cares about a stigma if it's helping the person feel better, right? Oh, yes, definitely. Because what's better than health and stuff like that? But that's what the government is trying to oppress. Yeah, the uh, the mighty dollar. We, uh, we hear stories about it all the time. Adam, do you have any questions for John? One thing I was wondering is, as you were talking about, that your county had just voted. Did this just happen recently that they approved dispensaries, or has this been for a while, John? Um, this was recently that the county I live in approved it about a month and a half ago. So maybe then things are going to be in the works here, because I would think that there would be people chomping at the bit to open up dispensaries there. I'm hoping so because I'm friends with a bunch of CEOs and owners of dispensaries, but I haven't seen anybody mentioning even doing um, an event in the county I live in to promote their company and see how many people show up before they start planning on opening a shop. Yeah, I'd also be curious as to, you know, what the regulations are. Are they, you know, lenient enough so that businesses would want to come in and invest and operate? Or are they too strict and so businesses might be, be hesitant? So I'd be curious as to what the how the regulations were written, how zoning is done, et cetera, you know, how far away from schools or religious uh, places of worship they have to be there there's always different stipulations and they may just have certain areas that are zoned for it you know are they allowing outdoor cultivation or you know does it have to be indoors i'd be curious as to those things 
We're going to sort of close out. Is there something you'd like okay. to say, anything you want to share with the cannabis community or, you know, anything you want to say about Florida? Um, with Florida advocacy groups, um, most of them are going towards regulating mm-hmm. cannabis. Mm-hmm. And I feel that everybody should go towards legalization because regulating anything is more of a money plot than actual freedom. I see what you're saying. And um, I'd like to thank all of my friends. All right. Well, thanks for that. And also, most importantly, John, thanks for calling in and giving us information. Everybody has a different story. Yours is out of Florida, which is a state that everybody has their eye on. Uh, Nobody does a beachfront bar better than Florida. And nobody is making a dispensary on any of those streets in highly, highly populated area for the elderly. So we root for you. And we hope that you become a bud tender and you'll come back on and tell us all about your life in a couple of years. Is that so? Well, maybe sooner. You tell us. Yeah, hopefully sooner. I have a friend in Pensacola that owns 100 acres of land. And I was thinking about a 420-friendly resort Ooh. with massage parlors and hiking and all kinds of stuff like that. <laughs> that sounds amazing, man. I'm coming. I'm bringing my Bermuda shorts. <laughs> All right, John, thanks so much. Y'all have a lovely day and green heart all the way. Oh, I love that. Same to you, buddy. Thanks, John. All right, (laughs) bye-bye. Thank you, Adam. Thank you again for listening. There's so much to be learned from the various testimonies, and it's our intention to make it known to people of all ages the benefits of this ancient herb. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on The Cannabis Corner. Mm -hmm.